Oh, did I say? <laughs> I, I reckon probably, I haven't counted, but there would be 40 or 50, maybe more. Hi, Elizabeth. <laughs> and what's some of the faves you got there, mate? What, what are the favourites? Uh, the touring favourites are always only ball guitars, and I've got maybe seven or eight of those because they're just so stable and built so perfectly. They're probably the best production guitar on the planet. But as a token of this COVID thing that's going on, I have them all locked up at the moment. I want to save them until this bloody COVID thing is over and bring them out again. It's like saving the children from the horror. <laughs> so um, it's like a, it's some sort of weird sacrifice thing that I'm going through at the moment. Anyway, um, so they're definitely the, the number one on stage guitar. Other favourites, like this one that I have in my hands, is uh, this is a, a, a Relic Depot early 60s Strat tribute built by a fellow called Andrew Shelgov, who for all intents and purposes could be a master builder at Fender. It's wow. just amazing. Uh, I've got an Eastman Guitars. SB59V, have you had or played these things before? You know what? A friend of mine just bought one. He was on the hunt for a Les Paul, yep. and he played one of those and went, bugger Gibson, I'm buying one of those, and he just absolutely loves it. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and I've played, you know, R9s and R8s and all that sort of stuff and the highest-end custom shop stuff, and this easily competes with them and probably is probably better, with all due respect to my friend Gibson. Hello, Chris. Uh, so this is what I use if I need a Les Paul. Um it's, you know, antique varnish. It's got Lola Imperial pickups in it. It's a quarter sawn neck with that nice old uh, 50s kind of almost a V shape. It's just unbelievable. And it sounds like a an old violin. So I'm a little bit in love with this. Uh, I collect Charvels because I'm an 80s kid and grew up with, with rock. So I've got probably seven or eight of them. Nice. Uh, they're always fun to play. So I'm always on the hunt looking for US Charvels, which still go, you know, reasonably priced. Um, yep. oh, there's a lot of custom-made stuff here. I'm just looking around to try and make it interesting for you. Uh, I've got a, more than my share of seven strings, which I'm hopeless at playing, but I like them anyway. Yeah. Uh, Chris Kinman, the great pickup builder, yep. has uh, made me a couple of guitars. I've got one of his tallies and strats that I used to demonstrate his pickups. Yeah. And on stage, if we ever get back to the bloody stage. Uh, Artist Guitars. A affordable Sydney brand have just sent me this. Sorry, I'm just juggling planks of wood here. Um, this is their top-end acoustic called the OMS 10 EQ, which looks a lot like, you know, an old orchestral Martin and... Pretty much is, really. But it just sounds... I love it. Uh, it sounds like it needs a tune. But, yeah, these are, this is their top-end stuff. Thousand very bucks. nice. Yeah, yeah, it is very extraordinary. I was astounded when I opened it up and played it. I couldn't believe it. And I've got a Noem 28, a real one here. Yeah. Um, and a thousand bucks, Jesus. And it stands, it, sta it parks right next to it. <laughs> so, wow. Um, Did you say that's made in Sydney? No, that's Artist Guitars are a Sydney-based company. 
and it's uh, this is probably not made in Sydney. I don't know where it's made, to be honest. I would imagine it's made in a very high-quality factory like that Eastman guitars somewhere in Shenzhen or, or Beijing or, you know, one of the capital cities of China. Uh, but it doesn't matter. As long as the quality is there, I couldn't care if it came from, you know, Mars. Uh, and in this one, the quality is definitely there. Yeah, uh, lots of fun stuff. Some old, uh, I don't have any vintage stuff because I've always been a bit of a utilitarian, utilitarian. What's the correct word? I'm trying to think I think of. that was it, yep. They're just tools for me. Yeah. Uh, but if, I like, if there's a certain spanner I like, um, you know, like Charvel's, excuse me, um, that have a that have a certain feel, like this guy, for instance. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Nice one. This is one of the first production model, US models from 2009, when they released them in batches from about 2000, late 2007 through to 2010, I think. Yep. Uh, and they've, you know, they, they, it's all about the neck with the Charvels. I mean, yep. really, they're hot rod offenders. But the necks are just bullshit crazy good. So and with, with the big uh, frets, big frets on there as well, big jumbos. Big frets, wide nut, um, which is good for me because I always get caught up even on my on my beloved Ernie Balls. That nut is just a millimeter and a half um, smaller. Yeah, and these are quite wide. Yeah, I like the Floyds too. I mean, me I'm an eighties kid. Yeah, yeah. I is that to... a floating Floyd or is that flush mounted? Floating, a floating Floyd, it'll go up about half a step. Yep. Yep. So, and it's light, which is good. It's about 3.2 kilos, which is, you know, unusual. Uh, so I always favor light guitars because I had a bad back problem that put me in hospital. Um, yeah. So I've got quite a few of these and love them all. They haven't seen the stage yet, but I don't care because I spend most of my time in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, mate, I've been... Uh really wanting to get myself a strap with a Floyd Rose um, for a while now. And I just love the Floyd Rose, how well, when they're set up right, how well they stay in tune. There's just nothing like it. There's nothing like it. That's very true. There is a difference in Floyd Roses, though, that, you're, that you may be aware of. And it's the difference between the what they call the original, which is a German-built thing by Schaller, I think, or yep. it is now, it probably wasn't initially. Yep. And... Um, and the 1000 series, and it's mm. all about the strength of the steel and the tolerances, especially when you're talking about the knife edge and that sort of thing. The originals always come back in tune on Australia. You'll find them only out by maybe one or two cents. Yep. As long as it's strung some sort of guitar like, you know, this orange one that's got a quarter saw neck that is also rigid, but on things, uh, uh, the the 1000 series, which is probably 150 bucks cheaper, we're talking about the, the bridge hardware, mm -hmm. It's pretty good, but it will. It's not. It's not rock solid. Yeah. You know, it'll waver as much as a vintage, a well set up vintage Strat tremolo does. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is not what you want. You want dependability. Yep. So it's worth spending the extra if you're going to go down the Floyd Rose route. Either get the Shallow Lockmeister or get the Floyd Rose original. I think they're probably made in the same factory with a different stamp on them. Yeah. Um, and you won't have any problems if you know what you're doing when you're setting it up. Yep, yep. You know, I've got a, a Hamer back here that I've that I've fallen in love with again recently. I've had this guy since '91, and look at it. What a... <laughs> yeah, oh man, it used to be black, and I, I I took all the black off a few years back. But, yeah. Oh man, the action on this is just 
incredible. Like, um, looks pretty slick. Oh, like you wouldn't believe. Uh, which, I'm which finding myself. That's the the Shala, uh, Floyd Rose. Yeah. But I'm considering replacing that with a Gotto. Uh, Charles Cilia tells me the Gotto yeah, Floyd Gotto, Rose. Is, is, good. Yeah, because uh, the Gotto has a uh, a brass block. Yes. And I did do a bit of an experiment. I had somebody approach me about doing a video. They were creating brass blocks for Floyd Roses. Yep. And they were saying it was going to be all about the sustain. So we were, I said to him, mate, I'll, I'll do the video, but I'm not pulling your bloody guitar apart. You can use my kitchen as a workbench and you do all the, the pulling apart. Yeah. And we it's did all the, job. yeah, yeah. So we did the ABs and yep. um, there was absolutely no difference in sustain. But there was in tone. That struck okay. us when we played it back. We both looked at each other and went, "Oh, hello!" We weren't expecting that. It yeah, was right. the tone. Yeah, yeah. It and was a what, lot. What, is that describable? That difference? Yeah, just a lot mellower. The brass was a lot mellower. It didn't have that high end zing. So okay. yeah, that could be something if you, because it's all an alchemy, isn't it? Of uh, what frets are you using? What wood are you using? It all sort of contributes. So. I'm guessing Absolutely. that if you had a guitar, then you thought, man, it's just a little bit too bright, too zingy. That brass block could make all the difference. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've never tried it. Um, I do favour stainless steel frets if I can get them. They give you an extra bit of ting. They do. They do. And I might get that one refretted uh, and get stainless put on there, only because it's a 30-year-old guitar now and um, there's not much fret left. I, I've got the action so low on it, like one mil. Uh, and I do find it a bit hard to bend. It's a bit hard to get underneath them because the frets are so low. I bet it's not as low as Brian May's Red Special. You know, he's never had that thing refretted since he I've built it in 69. That's nuts. I know, I know. We were talking about fret, uh, fretboard width. Um, now, I, I played in a Queen tribute band for many years, um, and so I had the, the Red Special copy and everything. And that had a, yeah. wider, a wider nut than normal. And I yes. kind of got used That's to that. It's about a 40, 44, I think. Yeah. yeah. Now, apparently, his is even wider still. But if they were to use that on the production models, they said no one would would buy the bloody thing. I probably would. I'll have to ask Greg Fryer about that because he built him a couple of spares that he still uses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, Greg. Greg used to send me prototypes of treble boosters before he'd send them to to um, to Brian. So I haven't met him in person, but through emails over the years, and yeah, he's the guy. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to reconnect with him. It's been a, been a few years. You know, it's funny, mate. We were talking before we went live about the train wreck of doing things live. I'm yes. not sure what happened, but this actually dropped out for a while there, and it, I don't know how long it dropped out for, and I had to re reestablish it. We've been live again now for <laughs> about 12 minutes. Oh. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened, whether there was a dropout in the internet or which has happened. I went to do a, one of these with... Um, yeah, we're good now. We're good now. So I was thinking, there's nobody in the chat room. What's going on here? But as soon as I went, I went, oh, fuck, it's dropped out. And I went back. <laughs> and can people in the chat room text you? They can. They can. People in the chat we'll room. Someone, hello, people in the chat room. Tell us how long we've been off, off air for. Or whether it even was at the start. I'm, oh. It, it would have been. It, it has happened before. You know, I had, a, had one lined up way back when I first started doing these with Dale Ryder. Yes. Went to run the intro, intro and right as it went to come live, it just cut out. I lost him, I lost connection and for a good half hour. 
And this was during the first run of COVID and he only had a limited time. He was, cause he was sharing the computer with uh, his kids who were homeschooling at the time. So uh, that was a bit of a write off that one, but um, yeah, not sure what happened, but that's cool. It's the... But you and I have been able to, and sorry to wrap it on people that are watching this on YouTube, but you and I have been able to see each other for the entirety of our uh, liaison. And so has it been something that's been recording this have you got anything, any hardware in this? No. no. Well, I do have that option, but no, no, it, it didn't have it turned on. I actually think, because it, it did stutter for a while, you were talking at one point and it kind of glitched and oh, then came okay. good again. And I'm thinking it could have been through there. So I'm not sure how much we've lost, but you know what? That's okay. We're talking. I know you said you were limited on time. We're still at. It's probably at my end because my daughter, Sadie, is um, madly doing her year 12 in the yeah, room. Yeah. And we're all feeding off the same network. That, anyway, doesn't matter. Work. Yeah, no, it was only that I looked at the, at the chat room and I went, hang on, there's usually people in there. Um, so, folks in the chat room, if you've got any questions for Brett, please fire away um, because time is getting away and he did say he only had about an hour to chat today. Man, some of these can go for, and depending who you've, you've had on there, Erwin Thomas went for three hours and I had to cut him off. Jack likes it. He likes it. A yarn. He does. Loves it. Loves it. And um, good mate. <laughs> Brett Garcett. He's probably watching. He does watch these actually. Okay. Um, yeah. Hi, Brett. And Brett. Brett Garcett. Yeah. He. Um, that was three and a half hours, and we could have kept going. We talked for a couple of hours afterwards as well. You know, some people just love it. Um, His mate. story is very interesting. Brett. And I, sorry, Brett and I mate. knew each other from the gosh early eighties. I think. Yeah. That would have been, yeah. When I was working at a music store in Melbourne called Brashes and Allen's, 81, 82, that's when I first met Brett. Yeah. And we'd, he'd come in and we'd, we'd try to play Eruption together <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. And he was very well built there because he was working out as well, living yeah, on a farm, yeah. I think, in, living on his farm in Bendigo or somewhere like power that. Powerlifting. I did ask him about that. Um, and he said he was, a, yeah. he was into powerlifting. Yeah, yeah, he was big. Yeah, very, yeah. And very friendly, and still is now. We're still great mates. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That's great, mate. That's great. So, mate, talking about the gear demos earlier, how many do you spit out a week? Do you have a? Do you give yourself a quota? I don't give myself a quota. Uh, normally, it would be if, I, if, if it's a high production or what I – high production for me, which involves uh, a lot, you know, 50 edits and stills and uh, uh, research and all that sort of stuff. I might do two or three a week. Lately, I've been pretty much setting up two cameras, one on the pedal and one on myself, finding a decent backing track and just demonstrating it in situ, like I did with this Nordvang 83 drive yesterday. Uh, and so the the the, uh, the viewer can just see what is going on with the controls and hearing it, hearing what it might be like with a a reasonably clean pedal platform and I've been using the Bogner Shiva clean channel in the axe because it's just like a nice old blackface very clean nice um, yeah so I can do one or two of those a day uh, it just depends how involved it is things like this zoom g11 that came in last week sometime these are time intensive and um, really quite a pain in the ass because you've got to study them for two or three days mm. to find out what all of the how, what they're um, 
software architecture, how it works and how it all operates and then find the best sounds and then try to formulate some kind of video that you can condense down into, you know, six to ten minutes because really the attention span of a YouTuber is not very long. And, uh, you know, even my own attention span, I don't don't care how good it is. It's five or six minutes, I'm gone because I've got too much to do. Uh, So, yeah, it depends on the... um, it depends on the product, really. You know, this Maxon Tube Screamer, that won't take very long. Yep. But the Zoom thing will probably take days. So... You know what? That That's something that um, that I find trying to learn gear. It's People don't give you credit for how long it takes to really learn a piece of gear. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. The R&R is, is considerable. Yeah, yeah. Do you uh, dedicate specific work hours for yourself to, to get such a prolific output? Do you go, okay, from 9am, I'm in the office uh, and I'll work through till six o'clock and then it's time off or do you just do it as you feel? How do you structure your day? The typical day for me is uh, I get up at about 8, 8.30, I walk the dog <laughs> I have breakfast, read the news on the computer and uh, answer any international emails that I think, you know, I warrant, warrant answering, most of them usually. And then I come out here at around 10, 10.30 and I'll work fairly solidly with a half hour break for lunch at 1 until uh, maybe 4.30 where I walk the dog again just to get up and move and, and walk yeah. around and check the fences of the neighbourhood. I'm the cook here. Yeah. So I cook dinner. Me and my two lovely girls, Elizabeth, my wife, and Sadie, my daughter, sit down and have dinner. And and then at 7.30, I'm back out here and usually work through till 10 or 11 o'clock every day. Okay. Uh, And then I'll collapse with some really nerdy fantasy series on Netflix and get up again at 8 o'clock in the morning the next day and do it all again. And that's what I've been doing pretty much since mid-March when we got locked down. Yeah, right. And do you just dedicate... Weekdays to it? Would you do it all weekend as well? Whatever it takes. Yeah, it's only really punctuated by uh, Elizabeth, who I'm not sure whether you're familiar with. Is my wife has a gardening uh, entity, a gardening presence on YouTube and Facebook. She calls herself Garden Girl. Uh, actually, I named her Garden Girl. <laughs> incredibly talented gardener and crafty sort of person. And so I'm the cameraman and director and editor for all of that stuff as well, which I love doing because it gets me outside and get and 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 uh, puts us together and gets me away from, with all due respect to guitar stuff, guitar stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I can get out there, enjoy the garden, have a bit of fun with her. Yeah. Um, even Sadie, who started on you know my YouTube channel, she's now got a fairly hefty online presence as well with oh, her really? Instagram account uh, because she is an extraordinarily talented cook and nutritionalist at the age of 18. So she's getting smeg toasters and plenty of boxes of oats and herb seeds and all sorts of junk sent to her because of, of her Instagram presence, which she has designed and initiated entirely her, herself without any help from anybody else. So, wow, wow. Um, and yet you're the designated cook. You said you're, you're the cook. Yep. I love cooking. I grew up with uh, a, a, a lady called Samantha Gowing, uh, Gowing, Food and health, health, wealth, food and health. Sorry, Sammy, I've forgotten the name. Uh, in Melbourne, and her father, who was known as uh, Kevin Dennis, 
Dennis Gowing, his name was, owned Melbourne's best restaurants, and uh, which I had frequented a lot, and it taught me about exotic foods and good fine dining and all that sort of stuff. In the very early 80s, we're, talk, we're talking, and uh, the love of all that has stuck with me, so I cook every night. And um, it, uh, actually, now Sadie's begun to as well. Okay. So, yeah, that's fun. And, and it, that, that's a nice thing to do at the end of the day or in the middle of my day, I suppose, uh, you know, for a couple of hours and takes your mind off things and it's kind of therapeutic and we have a glass of plonk and then I come back out here and start again for four or five hours until I've had enough. Yeah, right. So when you say you take some time out to go walk the dog, do you find yourself um, coming up with ideas for what you're going to yes. play? Yeah, yeah. Because I can Absolutely. relate to that. Walking is the... Yeah, walking is definitely the single most stimulating pastime for me as far as creativity goes, for mm. sure. Yeah, same. Uh, it just puts you in a different space. I don't know, don't know what it is. A few people have said that, and uh, uh, I just ca I can't agree more. So, yeah, I appreciate it on that level as well because it, it, it's, a, it's almost a problem-solving um, pastime as well as being creative. Yep, yep. All of my creative stuff... For the Garden Girl channel as well, it's all done usually or, or thought about or conceived when I'm out there walking a little black dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I try and um, write a tune that sort of showcases a piece of gear and trying to come up with a solo for those things. I'll come up with the parts, the, all the rhythm parts and everything here, but then let's go for a walk, try and tune out from it. And you've I've undoubtedly got that tune stuck in my head and without thinking yeah. about it, subconsciously, I'll start hearing melodies over it and go, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go that direction. So I totally relate to that. Yeah, that's good because it removes you from the physical. And sometimes in the physical, you can get stuck in those boxes. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're out there, the, the physical is no longer a boundary. It's all about your imagination. So if you can imagine a tune, as you've said, you, you often do when you're you know, creating a solo. I'm a shit soloist. But that's I try to do this same thing firstly sing, sing some sort of tune in my head and then translate it to the guitar which is what i used to teach my students to do as well yeah. when i was teaching it yeah one point and that and that opens up there that makes their creativity flower a bit more because they're not constrained to physical possibility they can they're opened up by um mindfulness yeah absolutely brett i'm going to start going through the chat to have a look at some questions so folks if you do have any questions for brett please type them in now as I'm going to just start going through because I know that you are pressed for time. You're a no, busy, no, no, busy man. That's fine. We're at 15, 20 at least, so go for it. Yeah, okay. Uh, one of the comments that I just breezed past was quite funny from Mark Horton. He said he once dated a girl named Rose Floyd. We were talking about the Floyd Roses earlier. That is classic. Uh, oh. I've met Floyd Rose. He doesn't look much like a girl. No. <laughs> he's, very, he's a very handsome Californian jeweler. He was a jeweler. Okay, okay. Uh, let me see. Hey, Brett and Rick. Love your work, mate. What's your favorite solo on a James tune, and why is it, and why is it always the way? Ha-ha. Well, uh, okay. I, I like your pun. Uh, always the way was played by Jeff Scott, who's a great mate of mine. Played on the Bengals stuff too. Jeff lives in Los Angeles. Uh, that's a big, nice, big, soaring solo. Um, I've kind of appropriated that and uh, made it, turn it into a David Gilmore solo on stage whenever we do it. 
My favourite solo on any James Rain recording would be the solo from Motors Too Fast, which was a single in the mid-90s or the early 90s. And it was played by one of my all-time favourite guitar players, whose name is Ian Benson. Ian Benson was the guitar player for a band called Pilot, January, Magic, all of those, a couple of classic hits they had, and Alan Parsons' project, all of the major stuff on Kate Bush's records, and even some of the stuff on David Gilmore's records. Wow, wow. And uh, I had a crack at the solo over here at Armstrong's or AAV, as, as was known in the 91, and it wasn't a great solo. The record and James went to, to London to be mixed and have more embellishment put on it when people had so much money that, you know, that's what we did. And uh, Ian Benson was next door, I believe, and came and dropped these, that, that Have a listen to it. It's just crazy and quite unorthodox. And every night I have to play it, and every night I have to really concentrate to make sure I don't bugger it up. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's my favourite. Did you play uh, on any of James' records yourself? Yes. Yeah, I did uh, two or three albums, uh, uh, most of the live stuff, uh, the Speedboats for Breakfast album, Design for Living album, a couple of acoustic albums, all the live albums that have been released in the last 15 years. Uh Reckless, even. Um, that's the second time we did that. Most a couple of the early hits. The first solo album I played on. Second solo album I played on. Uh, yeah, quite a bit of it. Yep. Cool. Cool. Uh, we had Darryl, the same band was used for Daryl Braithwaite's first couple of albums as well. Oh yeah. The Edge and Horses. Yeah. Or Rise, I think he called it. I can't remember. Sorry, Daryl. Uh, yeah, so it was like a sort of a Melbourne hired gun club for that stuff when there was a producer called Simon Hussey producing. And Simon really uh, sadly didn't do much after the mid-'90s and has been um, pretty reserved ever since. Yeah. Okay, so you have played on quite a few things there. I'm going to have to go back through my record collection and go, oh, there he is, there he is. Well, yeah, you could go back to you know it was most of the most of the recording stuff I did was it was in the nineties with Jenny Morris and even Peter Andre the Chantuzies and you know I was just a hired gun and lived locally to Platinum and Sing Sing, so it was easy to get me down in half an hour and just bash out something. And did you have a, a go to uh, rig setup that you'd use for all those? Was it like, yeah, I always used this guitar and this amp on most of those, or was it whatever was on hand at the time? Well. Funnily enough, what was on hand most of the time was the old uh, X100 Rockman. <laughs> yeah, right. The Tom Schultz Rockman, which had a permanent uh, place at in uh, Platinum and AAV Studios in the late 80s and, and early 90s. And failing that, we'd just mic up a Deluxe or a Vox, uh, and that was about it. Um, I did have a Digitech... Remember the first rack Digitech, the two-unit one? 2101. Yeah, one of those. I was one of the first people to embrace that technology, which I guess has actually led me to embrace all of this other stuff that I've got sitting in front of you, the fractal gear and you know all that crap. Yep. Uh, so we used that a little bit. But, yeah, I remember a producer called Kevin Beamish who was 
brought in to do the last Uncanny X-Men album, which is called What You Give Is What You Get. And he'd just come off a huge success with REO Speedwagon in the States because he's a Californian. And the only thing we did that entire album with was a rock one. Wow. <laughs> which was a fade in the ice because the batteries kept running out all the time. <laughs> okay. I uh, My friend's got one. I might have to borrow it off him and compare it to um, the new IK Multimedia... Joe Satriani pack for uh, Amplitude. Uh, that's got a, a Rockman recreation in that. I'd, I'd like to A-B it to the original. Okay. So, I've done some time matches for Fractal Audio of Rockmans. A couple yeah. of us have actually. They're out there on the... If you've got a fractal bit of Fractal gear there, you'll be able to download it and check it out. It's pretty close. I think uh, some Fractal gear is in my future, definitely. Did you ever go down this road, mate, with ADAs and Marshall JMP1s, those kinds of things? I never had an ADA, uh, but I've done a lot of work for the fellow who invented that with his uh, flanger and um, his uh, cab sim. And David, um, David, uh, God, I can't remember his surname. Isn't that terrible? I haven't spoken to him for about three years. But no, I never owned one of those. Uh, we did use the JMP, the, the, the rack for a little bit, um, but mostly I just ran the super leads. Funnily, when uh, in the late 80s we were on the road with Tina Turner and uh, because we shared the same management Roger Davies and James Ralston was playing guitar for Tina Turner at the time he's a uh, Californian guy probably five six years older than I am and he had Tina went off the road so we poached James for a tour and he had a Dumble Overdrive special combo that uh, he used to bring on the road with us and all we ever did with it was use it in uh, the rehearsal, uh, the dressing room to warm up with. It yep. never saw the stage at all. The bloody thing's worth probably, you know, 300 grand now. Wow. Uh, uh, which I thought was funny because we'd, we'd glamour on stage. He'd, he'd use boogies and I'd use marshals and the dumble just sat in the corner out the back. Yeah. Never played a dumble, but um, actually... I, I, just just... Thought, I just thought it was like a glorified deluxe, yep. you know, which is really probably all they are. <laughs> But they're all built differently. That's the other thing. Yeah, too. yeah. They're, they're, they're That's what we're here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was around at Louis Shelton's place last night. That This one here is actually Louis Shelton's, this ADA. Um, yeah. And he said he's just got, he can do without that because he's just picked up a, a Dumble clone. I'm not sure what actual Dumble it was cloned off, but he said, oh, that's going to keep me going for days. But um, when I, I grabbed this one off him because the one that I had here that I was going to do the comparison video between obviously something wrong with it very noisy uh so yep. i took that to a repairer and i knew that louis had one of these he was playing it at his place when i went around brought it around here plugged it in nothing open up the fuse hello blown fuse i'll pull the fuse out of the other one that's working put it in turn it on nothing pulled out that fuse and it was gone and then i realized that's a 120 volt version uh louis, if you're watching don't worry I had it at the repair guy this morning. It works again, mate. We didn't blow it up. We just blew the fuse. So, <laughs> yeah, very lucky. Very That's fortunate. Lucky. Yeah, yeah, because I thought, oh, man. I, I actually said to the guy, man, pull, just pull the transformer out of my one, and I don't want to give Louis back a broken one, mate. So, um, yeah, but I'm thinking about going this way again, but just talking to all these guys about the, the axe effects, maybe that's more the, the way to go rather than dragging this technology out again. But just a couple oh, more questions here before we go. Yes, yes. Uh, 
What's the one piece of gear that inspires you the most from Pooh Ninja? The XFX3. XFX3, there you go. What do you think? This is from Mark Horton again. Uh, what do you think of the Spark Practice Amp? No comment. I've never tried one. Okay. It would be useless to me. Yeah. Uh, the concept is fine, you know, for people who want an affordable practice amp with all of the interactive bells and whistles and stuff, but I don't. So, no, you know, it's probably fine. Yeah. That's that's the one bit of gear that a lot of people have, have messaged me asking me about, and I can't say I've ever played one, uh, so I have no opinion on it either. Um, what else we got here? Gear is getting ridiculously complex to learn and can lead to several 19th nervous breakdowns. Yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just sorting through the comments. They're mostly comments rather than questions, mate. So I will leave that one as is. Brett, thank you so much for your time, man. Thanks for yours, Rick. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed yeah. it. Mate, if you're up this way once the touring gets happening again, um, I will drop by and say hello. And Well, I am coming up there as soon as the restrictions and the airlines allow. I'll be visiting uh, my friend Roger up at Signal Chain in uh, Brisbane, I think his shop is. Okay. To, to cover um, Magnetone amps. Nice. Nice. We're going to shoot maybe half a dozen videos for them, which is something that I'm looking forward to because I've always coveted the Magnetone. I've never been able to to uh, get hold of one myself so yeah, yeah. that'll be fun uh, the way things are going I don't reckon it'll be much before October yeah. however I look forward to that day <laughs> <laughs> awesome hey folks I'm going to hit the magic button Brett you're asking about my little controller and yes. I've got a little end screen thing here you know I can assign different things to this like and one thing that I did have on here was start broadcast originally Yes. which once you I have started broadcast turns to end broadcast. Yes. I took that one off after the Thomas McRocklin episode because as I was talking to Thomas, I fumbled this in my hands and end of the, the broadcast. <laughs> so I don't know what happened at the start of our one, mate, whether that was human error or whether it was a glitch in uh, internet, but um, I, I did take that one off here so that didn't happen anymore where I would end a broadcast on anybody. But... I do have this little button right at the end here that says end screen. When I hit it, this magic logo comes up and it all ends. So, ciao, folks. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. Sayonara.